Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host. Each week you may recognize my voice or my mug from being the host of what is Franklin Covey's other podcast on leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Both of these are on audio and video. And what we learned is after about five years and hundreds of episodes interviewing people from best-selling authors to business titans to Pulitzer Prize-winning authors, Nobel Prize winners, celebrities, doctors, sportscasters, you name it, it wasn't always the biggest name that got the most downloads or the most reviews. It was a person who had an interesting career, a career not so dissimilar to yours and mine that got the most interest. And so we decided to spin off this new podcast, now its second year in production weekly called C-Suite Conversations, where each week I have the privilege of interviewing all different types of leaders from the C-Suite so that we all can learn from their own career journeys. What are the mistakes What are the successes they employed that are replicable to each of us? Today, I'm honored joining us from Philadelphia is Dr. Joel Myers. He is the founder, CEO, and chairman of AccuWeather, a name that we all know but may not appreciate its entire journey or how it impacts the news we receive locally on our weather. Dr. Myers, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. My pleasure, Scott. By the way, we're in State College, Pennsylvania. We're in Pennsylvania, but in the center of Pennsylvania, that's where AccuWeather is headquartered. I've, lo- I've uh, flown in many times. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the nation. Uh, delighted to have you joining us today, Joel. And I love the fact that you're standing. You actually might be the first guest on this podcast that has chosen to stand versus sitting, but I'm sure there's a reason why you're doing that. Talk about why you choose to stand and what it does to your energy and your focus as opposed to sitting when you're being interviewed. Yeah, it, it does. It creates a little more energy. Uh, you know, it, uh, I just feel more engaged uh, standing. Uh, I do some interviews sitting down for television, but uh, uh, it just feels more natural. And uh, uh, particularly today, I'm a little jet lagged coming back from Vegas from the broadcaster's <laughs> conference. So uh, it's going to keep me uh, alert. Well, I appreciate the energy. I feel the same way when you stand. I actually do my best thinking when I'm pacing. So in meetings, I always get criticized for pacing, but I don't care because it's when the the blood flows to my brain and I get the best level of genius coming out of me. You are a meteorologist. You actually founded AccuWeather back, I think, when you were a graduate student. Before we talk about the insights we can learn from your career, will you walk us through your career? Talk about a couple of decades ago when you had this idea. Why did you do that? And maybe talk about the impact that your, your academic contribution has had on the meteorologist across the nation and the world. Sure. Well, thank you. Well, I guess my career started when I was three years old, when I fell in love with snow. And uh, when I was seven, my grandmother gave me a diary and I started recording the days when it snowed in Philadelphia as I was growing up. Uh, And when I was 11, I got this idea of uh, combining my passion to be a weather forecaster with my entrepreneurial spirit and just said, boy, it would be great if I could start a weather company uh, that was uh, the most accurate so people would actually pay for a forecast. That was a dream. It was uh, what most people thought I was nuts, but uh, that was my dream. So uh, way to go to college. Well, I can only afford the state university, Penn State. It was only $250 a year in those days back in 1957. And uh, but it turned out they had the best meteorological program in the world. 
I got three degrees from Penn State, wound up teaching there 21 years, did research, and uh, that was a blessing, got great mentorship. I could have never started AccuWeather without the education and the mentorship from Penn State, uh, so I'm forever grateful. And uh, But I started AccuWeather as a second-year graduate student back in 1962. In fact, Joel, I think I read somewhere where directionally you may have trained a larger percent of the meteorologists we know on our local stations and our local news forecasters than maybe any other single person in our lifetime. Is that directionally accurate? Uh, directionally, I mean, I taught from, uh, when I stopped teaching in 1981, uh, I had taught, I estimate, 17% of all the practicing weather forecasters in the nation at that, at that point. Joe, one of the reasons people listen and watch this podcast is they're looking for best practices, right? They're interested to know how people made it to the C-suite, how to thrive as a C-suite leader. And I think one issue everybody is looking to improve upon are their communication skills, their presentation skills, whether it be their body language, their hand gestures, the congruency between what they say and what they're showing. As a professional meteorologist, I'm sure there's some portion is how you stand up in front of an audience or your voice projects on the radio to communicate what might be sometimes complex terms where I just want to know, do I need snow tires today or should I stay home? Are there any foundational principles that you might share us share with us around what makes a great communicator and a great presenter, whether it's in a meteorological, sen meteorological sense, slaughtered that word, or you're in the boardroom trying to convince shareholders to invest in your company? That's a great question. And certainly being on the radio and doing TV uh, helped my communication skills. Uh, but the key, whether you have great communication skills or not, is you need to be authentic. You need to do what you say you're going to do. Uh, you need to be fair as a leader, uh, and uh, you need to have a long-term vision and have people follow you, uh, believe in that vision. It's got to be believable, and you have to live it day and night. I've been fortunate, very fortunate, uh, that I've had a lot of people believe and help me achieve what AccuWeather has accomplished. I have probably 60 people that have spent their entire lives working only for AccuWeather. Uh, meteorologists and others we hired right out of college, uh, and probably a couple of dozen have retired already uh, that worked only for AccuWeather, and there are dozens more uh, across the company uh, that uh, probably will retire, you know, in the next 5, 10, 15 years that, uh, again, worked only for me, only for AccuWeather. And I'm so uh, – it, it, there's a great uh, – advantage to that. People who have an attitude, they want to learn, want to progress, uh, want to do better and contribute to something uh, bigger than themselves. And uh, we've been able to do that because we've saved over 10,000 lives, prevented injury to over 100,000 people. So this is a mission. Uh, this is a contribution to society and uh, while building a profitable business. And that's, that's our mission. And, uh, we live it every day. Dr. Myers, let's get tactical for a moment. As an average consumer, when I think about a meteorologist on television, beyond their education, their science background, what skills, when you teach them in college, as it relates to communication, engaging with the audience, what skills 
makes a great meteorologist. Beyond the technical knowledge that they have to master and understand weather patterns and the science, in terms of how they carry themselves physically, their communication, the words they use, how they take complex things and break them down, I'm guessing there's classes you've taught on presence, on physical presence. Anything you'd offer us there on that? Actually, I haven't. Uh, you know, it goes back a long time. I stopped teaching in 1981, so it's a long time ago, but constantly teaching uh, as an executive uh, at the company. But uh, while it was true that most people uh, got their weather from television, and a lot of people still do, some from radio, uh, clearly the apps and, and the digital way of getting forecasts has uh, certainly equaled that. Uh, but the key to communications, it's true in everything. Uh, and what Accu why Accurate has been successful is not only our forecast more accurate than any other source, and we can prove that statistically, uh, but they're more detailed, more localized, and, and you know, all the rest, and with certain parameters that aren't available for anybody else, like the real field temperature and minute cast and so on, the key is communicating the information so people make the right decision, so people understand it. And, and uh, uh, that's a broad topic we could spend the next hour on because we focused on that. A forecast is no good if people don't understand it and take the right action. I can give you many examples of that. Hurricane Katrina, uh, Hurricane Ian that killed over 100 people in Fort Myers, where we predicted what would happen and others did not. Uh, this saves lives and it's so important in those critical situations. So communications is what it's all about, but it has to consider the theory, the art, and the science of prediction. Prediction. Uh, most information people consume is what happened or is happening now. A weather forecast is a prediction. And so it's, there's uncertainty. Some of it we're sure about. Some of it we, there's uncertainty about. And we're going to hone in on the result over time. And you have to use the proper language so that people can distinguish that difference and make the right decision. As time goes on, you've got to approach accuracy of 100%. Uh, and you build credibility, you build trust over time by being very careful about the wording and communication of the forecast. Uh, the CDC didn't realize they were making a prediction during uh, the epidemic. Uh, so they said everything with the same kind of certainty, whereas certain things we're going to be constant throughout, and some of it was changing science as new information became available. And so they lost credibility because they didn't understand they were making a forecast, they were making a prediction. And I can give you other examples of, of that, so, but it, that's so important because in the end, a prediction, if people are going to make a decision on it, you want them to make the right decision. You even have to consider psychology. Uh, was there a warning the year before that was a false alarm? And this one's for real. And how do you get people to take notice? Let's take that a bit deeper, a fascinating topic. Uh, I've had the privilege on the other podcast I host for Franklin Covey to interview the patriot uh, American general Stanley McChrystal. And uh, on several occasions, he's reminded me that, you know, as a military general, you rarely get credit for what you do right, but everyone holds you accountable for what goes wrong. And I'm guessing there is a similarity there in weather forecasting. Like, for example, last year's hurricane, I'm from Florida, Orlando, so I watch them carefully. I live in Utah, no hurricanes, fortunately. But, you know, up until the last minutes, 
seems like everyone was saying it's going to hit Tampa, Sarasota. People are evacuating. They're leaving their homes. When, of course, it doesn't hit Tampa or Sarasota. It hits Fort Myers and does massive damage, carnage to, you know, millions of people in that area because everyone thought it was going north. And I say everyone. Most of the news said it's going to Sarasota. I have family and friends up there. What do you want the public to know about the accuracy? How close can you get it right? How seriously should they take weather forecast? How trusted are they? Well, let's get something cleared up right now. AccuWeather predicted it was going to hit Fort Myers. So all forecasts are not the same. Some people think of weather as a commodity and AccuWeather is just a brand. No, it's not just a brand. It stands for accurate weather and superior accuracy is what we're all about. Let me tell you what happened at Fort Myers. The National Hurricane Center and everybody else who uses their forecast had a a storm surge prediction of 12 to 16 feet. We had a storm surge prediction of 16 to 20 feet. And we said this is going to cause uh, lethal uh, effects. This is evacuate, evacuate. We were very clear. Over 100 people were killed in that area. We saved dozens of lives. People told us they got out based on the AccuWeather forecast. So uh, it's important to make that distinction. We have hundreds of other cases like that. For example, on tornado warnings, we give an average notice of 16.2 minutes. Uh, the National Weather Service, the official warnings are eight minutes. Uh, that means sometimes we'll give 23 minutes notice and there'll be no warning issued at all. That saves lives. That's what we're all about. And uh, we're so proud of our track record. But we run into this a lot. People lump all forecasts together, but we have a loyal following. And uh, we've built that trust over decades. Dr. Meyer, so give us some... Uh some understanding of how to find your forecast because like the average consumer i'm either on you know cnn.com or my local app or i'm listening to the local station is there a particular way in which you think weather prone citizens whether they're on the coast or tornadoes should be finding your service in particular well we have tens of millions of users in the united states and uh, hundreds of millions around the world that we have a free app accuweather on the on the phone available on every phone. Uh, it's free. Uh, just download it and use it. And uh, if you want even more advanced warnings and uh, some more detail, you can get that for just $19.95 a year as a, a paid app. We'll give you forecasts out through 45 days. Of course, it gives you minute casts. It gives you uh, unique things like the real field sun temperature and the real field shade temperature. We're the only indicator that uh, tells you what it's going to feel like in the sun, for example, and uh, many other uh, unique uh, products like that, all available for free. Or if you want more advanced, I noticed it's uh, very inexpensive, as I said, a couple dollars a month. Let's talk about some principles of entrepreneurialism. At heart, one of your passions was to become an entrepreneur. You actually were competing against the U.S. government decades ago when you founded AccuWeather. What, what principles would you remind C-suite leaders and entrepreneurs when they're competing against perhaps non-consumption, when they're competing against a government or a business titan or a variety of other startups, anything that you might pull forward that are like uh, time-proven principles of entrepreneurialism to keep people focused, encouraged, or maybe to help them pivot in, when they're feeling um, uh, overwhelmed or disheartened? Well, of course, competition is, is uh, the basic principle of capitalism. Through competition, uh, the users win. 
uh, society gains uh, because uh, that competition where uh, various companies are trying to get ahead trying to, uh, causes them to be more innovative, more creative, and, and develop products that the public wants and those that don't fail. Uh, uh, so I believe in all of that and welcome the competition. And sometimes you can learn from your competitors. I always tell our people, listen, we're very creative. We're the best uh, and we're going to win. Uh, but don't ignore all the things that the people we're going to beat are doing. There may be some, some bricks in that pile uh, that are worth replicating or studying hard and, and doing as well as they are even better. So, uh, you know, you really have to be focused on winning every day. I tell our people we're a 61-year-old startup and we need to act like it every day. We need to have that entrepreneurial spirit. I just launched uh, a, a new concept, uh, ET, an entrepreneurial thrust, three weeks ago uh, with various principles to make sure that we move faster in developing products, that we get them to market faster, that uh, we keep interacting with clients and beta testers uh, and do it at a faster pace because the world's moving faster than ever. And uh, a month from now, it'll be moving so fast compared to what it is now that we won't even recognize it. And that's certainly the case in a year or two or three. So in a very fast moving world, you've got to look further ahead than ever. Fortunately, I and this company we're in is in the prediction business. So we try to apply it across the realm, even outside of weather forecasting. I think I read once in your first decade, you prospected, called out to like something like 25,000 businesses and landed 100 clients, which I guess meant that you had 24,900 rejections. What do you want to remind leaders, whether they have a side hustle, they're an entrepreneur, they're an entrepreneur, they're a solopreneur, what do you want to remind everybody about how to handle and channel rejection? It's a great question. Yeah, I, my goal was to get 100 clients. I was going to get there no matter what. Then, of course, once I hit 100, I wanted 1,000. But I, as you said, tremendous rejection. People thought I was crazy, but you learn from every call. And uh, that's the idea. Like uh, uh, Edison said, uh, you know, he had found 10,000 filaments that wouldn't work in creating the light bulb. So you have to look at it like that. Uh, and as uh, the executives who report to me today say, Joel, you're relentless. Damn right, you have to be relentless. You got to keep working to find the right answer for success. And they're the kind of people uh, I want working for me that can enjoy that kind of an environment. Dr. Meyer, you've uh, been a, a, a enormous, enormous success. You've balanced your entrepreneurial success with that of being an abundant mentor, coach, professor yourself. What are some of the lessons you've learned on that broad journey as a entrepreneur, but also as an academician, as a mentor, remind everyone who's watching and listening worldwide what not to lose sight of, what not to lose track of. What's important to you, your family, uh, you know, be true to yourself uh, and build a business in that uh, context. Uh, and remember, a lot of people are dependent on you, not only the people you're serving, your customers, who then trust you, but uh, the people that have entrusted their well-being to you. So do everything possible to allow those people to flourish, uh, be there for them. Everybody has crises. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I've worked for you my whole life because you're like family. Well, 
a business isn't a family, but uh, we can be very sensitive and helpful uh, to people when they're going through the two or three crises that just about every person goes through in luck. You got to be human. You got to be authentic. Uh, you got to, a business is business. So you have to balance all that. Tell us, is there a mistake you've made along the way in business that you might be willing to be especially vulnerable or transparent about that others could learn from? Well, I've made uh, many mistakes, but like uh, uh, all people being successful, I guess, uh, reluctant to, uh, you know, really focus on those, but learn from them. Uh, so that's uh, an interesting question. Certainly, uh, I've learned, uh, I remember uh, the ski editor of the New York Times used to call me for a forecast and, and uh, information. And there was one situation where he said, well, we hear there's going to be a big snowstorm in the Catskills this weekend. Uh, I said, well, it's unlikely. There's a storm off the Carolina coast, but it's probably going out to sea. Uh, well, what if it comes? How much snow will there be? Well, I don't think it's going to come. Well, how, if it does, how much? Well, it could be six to 12 inches. That was the headline in the New York Times. Six to 12 inches coming according to ski forecaster Myers. Uh, certainly, I didn't handle that communications well. Uh, and I learned from that how to do so because I was obviously embarrassed. Uh, listen, I made mistakes along the way in how I handled uh, some employees in the early days. Uh, you know, I wasn't trained as a business person. I, I was a meteorologist. Uh, I was probably rough and tumble. And, and so I've uh, learned to... Uh, smooth off some of those uh, sharp edges and the demanding uh, executive that uh, I still am, but uh, do it in more a collegial way. You have to, you know, I remember Malcolm Gladwell in his book talked about how the uh, smartest uh, guy in the country, the highest IQ was a farmer in Missouri because he couldn't get along with people. Uh, he, as an executive, uh, even uh, whatever your background, uh, you have to relate to people. Well said. You just described everybody's career, by the way, not just your own. Let's talk about the weather for a moment. Go figure. Uh, what's happening? Like some could argue that global warming is now upon us in an irreparable way, and now it's just sort of damage control in terms of how we build and where we build and how we live and where we don't live. Um, others might say, well, yes, and we're just having more access to information, so we know about every weather pattern. And there, there aren't any more hurricanes or more tornadoes or more landslides or more forest fires. There's lots of different opinions. I'm not taking a position on that. What I do know is that in Utah, for example, this year, we had, I think, the largest snow on record, perhaps, right? It's been, it's been indescribable, the amount of snow. Great for the ski industry, great for the drought we've experienced, not so great for, you know, kindling and underbrush for summer forest fires. Um, whether, you know, waters come to California and tornadoes are seen early this year and hurricanes seem to be on the rise. Is there anything you'd like us to know as a scientist who prides himself and their company on getting it right? What do the facts say about the future of weather in our lifetime? Before I answer that, let me just put a little plug. We help well, the four, half the Fortune 500 companies, thousands of businesses, uh, be pre better prepared for and deal with uh, the weather short-term, intermediate-term, and even now climate forecasting as far as the year 2100. Uh, so there are a lot of things that companies can do to better utilize what we can provide. But 
it, that the question requires a, a long answer, but let me try and summarize it because it's a very complicated subject. Uh, the, the Earth is warming and humans are contributing to it. Uh, some will argue uh, different climate models. Let's talk about different results. Uh, the, the climate has always changed throughout the history of, of the planet. Uh, most of the world was warmer than it is today. Uh, we just had a peak of an ice age uh, about 15,000 years ago when the water levels in the ocean were 450 feet lower than they are today because there was that much ice tied up over the continents, mainly in the northern hemisphere. Uh, at the peak, the ice was two and a half miles thick over Montreal, Canada. So we've been warming uh, ever since then. Uh, and the water levels have been rising, uh, the ocean levels two and a half feet per century. But more recently, in the last uh, uh, more than a thousand, couple thousand years, they've been uh, rising an average of only eight inches uh, per century. So uh, we are on target to exceed that. And there is concern uh, that, of course, rapid melt melting in the Antarctic and so on will cause a, a big jump, a, a pivot point if you will, and there is a reason to worry about that. Of course, there'll be winners and losers as the climate changes. Uh, Canada will benefit from warmer temperatures. Uh, places like Pakistan and places that are extraordinarily hot now uh, will uh, uh, become almost unlivable. Uh, you look at uh, Phoenix, where there's two days a year on average where the temperature hits 115 degrees, and it's almost impossible to go outside. Uh, air conditioning is very expensive. Uh, in uh, 30 or 40 years, that number will exceed 20 days a year. Well, does that mean I don't want to uh, invest in a, a building, uh, a very expensive building or plant in Phoenix uh, because you may get reverse uh, migration? So there are all kinds of questions uh, that this raises. But yeah, the earth is warming. Uh, we're unlikely to stop it. I'm a great believer, though, in technology. I think carbon capture, fusion, and a lot of additional technological breakthroughs uh, will help us. You know, Nate Silver in his book, The Signal and the Noise, uh, pointed out in, in talking about prediction, the worst mistake humans make all the time is straight line extrapolation uh, of what's going on. And I'm not saying climate models are that, but I'm just saying most of the models and the forecasts don't account for the ingenuity and creativity of humanity. And now what humans have done in creating AI, uh, I believe there will be answers. So I don't think we need to panic, but I do think we need to uh, address it in a serious, uh, non-political way. Where is the best place for my grandchildren to live? Well, I, have, uh, I don't what, have grandchildren. So like, you know, 35 years from now, where should people be living that will have the best weather? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in Phoenix. And I uh, <laughs> apologize to the... Uh, uh, and Phoenix, I love the Vegas, Phoenix Chamber of Commerce, would, it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, certainly uh, uh, it depends whether people like heat, cold, <laughs> if they like snow, or so it's hard to just make... Yes. A, a, a recommendation, but there will be changes as there's always been, and you can see certain certain trends. If you want to run a ski area, you may want to 
uh, go to Upper Michigan because when Lake Superior open, you'll get more snow in the Upper Peninsula than you get now. So uh, we can talk about all kinds of possibilities. Great conversation. Dr. Jill Myers, you are the founder, CEO, and chairman of AccuWeather. Learned a lot of today about uh, AccuWeather forecast, how organizations, governments, individuals use that on a daily basis to impact our lives. It's an issue every human is more cognizant of every single day because of not just how we live, but how we work and operate with each other. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. I appreciate it, and I enjoyed it. Thank you. We'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.